0: Hello, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast, and I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Where Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. So today we're going to be talking about uh, suicide, um, you know, the issue itself and uh, more importantly, how to to get well from that. And I am so honored to have our guest tonight, Mark DeBona, and he is a retired police officer, and he's going to tell his story here and tell you a little bit more about himself. And uh, as many of you know, I am uh, a retired FBI agent, but I I also spent eight years in the Navy as an officer, and I was also a corrections officer and a police officer prior to that. So uh, I have a deep affinity to the law enforcement community, uh, many of the issues that I experienced in in my life and, and in my addiction, which we talk about on other episodes of this podcast, relate to that. And uh, I came across Mark by uh, actually looking for um, uh, YouTube videos to support the the work that I'm doing. And I was just really touched by his story and um, by what he went through and, and how he has really turned his life into helping others, and that's what it's all about. You know, this this whole thing is about helping uh, one another, and kind of the secret. You know, and and for those of you that are twelve step programmers and, and know the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson's great discovery, Bill Wilson's great contribution to mankind was the fact that he discovered that by helping other people that are suffering, he was able to help himself. And he was able to stay sober, whether they did or they didn't. It was that idea of getting out of yourself and helping others with their issues that that helped you focus less on your own issues. And um, so, what I discovered in in meeting Mark and knowing one another is, you know, he was he working in the area that I grew up in. I grew up in uh, Pinellas County, Florida, and then went to the University of Florida. And so, it's just kind of a coming home for me and And we're just sharing stories about my hometown. It's been a long, long time since I've been back down there, but I'm stuck up here in Washington, D.C., which (laughs) is a great place to practice your recovery now, isn't it? So with that, uh, Mark, go ahead and introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do.
1: Well, Mike, first of all, I want to thank you and I take this as an honor to be on, on your podcast. And this is just absolutely amazing. There's nothing more better than a brother reaching out to another brother and asking, Hey, can you do this? Are you comfortable with this? And that if we can, um, Get the message out about suicide prevention and PTSD and mental health illness, uh, whether you're in law enforcement or uh, uh, you know, the general public, it's absolutely great. And, I, and thank you guys uh, so much for having me on there. So uh, like Mike said, my name is Mark DeBonner. I was uh, born and raised in Boston, and I now live in Florida. I started my law enforcement career in 1985. And kind of a, this is kind of a, a, a dumb, a silly story, but I was sworn in on June 6, 1985, which was a Friday and if you look on the calendar it's National Donut Day so a little a little, a little, a little a little a little police humor there and i love donuts so um but if you told me on june 6 1985 that you'd be on a podcast uh Talking about a suicide attempt that happened to you in your personal life, I'd be like, first of all, what's a podcast? And second of all, no, absolutely not. Now we we know we know the in, in law enforcement is we call it the dirty little secrets, um, and and mental health illness is is a secret that uh, that we just don't talk about. Or there there is some agencies that address it fairly well, but unfortunately, for the most part. A lot of agencies don't address it. Um, I, I did. Uh, I did eight years in Massachusetts. Moved to Florida. Uh, worked for the Stemlin County Sheriff's Office uh, up till uh, March 1st of 2019 when I retired. And um, I retired as a patrol sergeant. Um, I absolutely loved, loved, loved to be in a cop. But I want, I want you guys to hear one thing out. There's an expression that I use all the time. You may love the job, but the job doesn't love you. And you're going to see why I say that. And Mike, you your example of that also. And yeah. I'm going to talk about it. But through my career, I was on patrol, traffic. I did some undercover work, did some investigative work. Um, and it was a pretty good career. I did 19 years as a sergeant. I never tested further to go, uh, go higher in rank because I loved being a frontline troop. And that was what, that's what it's all about. I loved, loved being a cop. For our first cops who are listening to this podcast right now, I commend you guys. I I don't think I could do it right now in this day and age, what's going on with the the riots and the defunding the police. And that adds, obviously adds stress to the, uh, to law enforcement. Um, I was a member of the peer support unit in my, uh, my agency. Um, but I had a hard time getting on the peer support unit. We'll get to that a little while also and and how difficult it was for me to get on the peer support unit when you took, when when I'm an advocate for suicide prevention and that's the politics of the job that goes with it. But it was a good run. Uh, I'm retired now. And I absolutely love, love, love retirement. I I could, I can't, I can't stress that enough.
0: Oh yeah. I, you know, and I, I retired this time last year as well. And and I can't, yeah, I just love the fact that I have the freedom to do and and say what I want to do now, and this podcast is a product of, of that. And um, you know, and I really appreciate you coming and, and telling your story, and and I know that this is going to touch somebody out there, and and really, and, and I know we don't want to say that the work that we do saves people's lives because we never want to take credit for this kind of stuff. This is just what we need to do, but but we know that it does. And you and I have seen a lot of death and destruction. And, hey, and you know something, Mark, and I, I'll tell you, let, let me just share this with you. That when I was, uh, you know, the military is faced, you face the dangers that, we, that we're all familiar with. But when I got into corrections and, and police work, the 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 danger was on the outside. I mean, the you faced danger every single time you put on the uniform and went out on the streets. And and that was very, very difficult. But I'll tell you, when I got into the FBI, uh, and the reason why I'm mentioning this, because you you mentioned politics in the office, the stress that I faced for nearly 21 years in the FBI actually had less to do with the danger that was outside the office, which was certainly there. Don't get me wrong. But I can tell you that the the stress and the trauma, and I'll even use that term, was actually Inside the organization. And I will tell you that in a lot of ways, the politics that went on inside the organization. Um, made it more difficult, and I think led ultimately to my addiction, which we've covered in op- other episodes in this podcast, more than the actual dangers out on the street. And I think a lot of people forget that. And then, and now, uh, the the trauma, the added trauma of just the beating that the law enforcement profession in general is facing from the public, and that and that that just really adds. And I and I don't think the public fully comprehends what that does to the psyche of a police officer but all that trauma going on mark um if you would could you kind of talk about what was going on in your life that led to bringing you here today
1: oh absolutely first of all mike i agree with you 100 percent with the with the office politics and, and the trauma the internal trauma uh, is, is killing officers it, it, it's killing officers and i'm gonna i'm gonna get to that so uh about um uh, now it's about 12 years ago um I, was work, I used to work in a very, very busy area, and I very much enjoyed it. I, you know, I was a sergeant. Um, I led by example. I, uh, I was out there with the guys and girls making arrests, writing tickets, whatever needed to be done. You know, I was one of the troops. You know, I led from the front. I didn't lead from the rear. Um, things were going great. Loved being a cop. I, I, I couldn't wait to get to work, um, I, I, but I, one thing I never got involved in was with the politics of the job. And, um, and I, that, and I guess it hurt me career wise. Cause I didn't jump on the bandwagon. I was never a suck up. I never told the bosses, you know, what they want to hear. If you want, if you want a question from me, you're going to get my, you're going to get the answer, whether you like it or not. And I'm not going to apologize for that. That's just, that's just the type of person that I, that I am. So, uh, a new Lieutenant came in and mind you, I was a Sergeant, a new Lieutenant comes in the exact opposite of me. And what I mean by that was, a huge suck up, you know, sucked up to the command staff, hung out with the sheriff, hung out, hung out with the um the majors, the the chief deputies, just uh you know he followed them where, wherever they went, and uh, his his goal was uh how quick can I move up the ladder, and if that means uh kicking somebody in the crotch or sucking up to somebody, that's what he'll do. So we had a meeting when he comes in and uh, with with all the other sergeants, and he's like. You know, I, I'm the boss. This is the way it is, on and on and on. And I call these meetings, I call these meetings bobble doll meetings. And what, what do you mean by bobble doll? If you look at a bobble doll, all the head does is shake up and down. So and that's what everybody's doing when the boss talks, they shake up the head up and down. So when he got done, you know, saying how great he was, on and on and on, I put my two cents worth in. I'm like, well, I disagree with you some things, Lieutenant. And he's like, um, I don't care. And I'm like, well, you need to care. So that obviously, we started off in a negative foot right there. Um, so it got to the point where, uh, he started bullying me. Um, he would, uh, just pick on me and like, like, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the, this may sound very minor, but believe it or not, it was huge in my life. I would do the daily report. Every sergeant had to do a daily report at the end of the shift. And I would do the daily report and I didn't put a comma in something. My shift was 530 to 530, 530 P to 530 A. My phone ring about nine o'clock, my department phone. Uh, I'm reading the daily report, and you need to put a comma in there. You need to change that now.
0: Oh, that, means I had
1: to, that means I had to get out of bed. Okay, and if we know anything about sleep, sleep is very important. You, you, you're your, you, you're going to get your REM sleep, uh, you know, things like that. And, and that would really piss me off. It, it truly would piss me off. Well, then he became very degrading. Um, like he would say, you need to hammer this guy. This, a complaint would come in He say, like, you need to hammer this deputy. Uh, he, you know, you know, he's an idiot. No, we don't need to hammer him. You know, we can do progressive discipline. We can, uh, we can have just a, I can sit down and talk with him. Will I put in his evaluation? I may, I may not. It, it just depends. So I was always for the guys, you know, I always, uh, always defended the guys whether they were right or wrong. I, I always defended them. Well, that pissed him off even more so um he, he uh he became insulting he you know as he, as i said earlier i'm from boston you know he's like you know uh, where do you park your car you know things like that i can take that i'm a, I'm a, I'm a tough guy I, I i can take that but when you get these belittling from your boss it it it, it becomes it becomes an issue and then he started he started attacking me um I was a public information, for the, uh, public information officer for the agency, and uh, that's something I really enjoyed doing was talking to the media, and I had actually developed a good rapport with the media, and uh, so I spent a lot of time on TV. Well, he wanted to be part of that, so he cut me out of it to put him on there. Um, now, now, again, these don't sound like big deals, but they are when it comes to your career, something you enjoy doing. Well, it got to the point we started to get into arguments. To the point where one time he said to me, "Let's go out in the parking lot and sell this like men." My answer was, "Okay, let's do it." (laughs) Uh, Obviously, we didn't go out in the parking lot because he, you know, he hid behind his desk. You know, Uh, he was a micromanager. Um, He was a uh, very, uh, uh, very um, irritating type person. So this had to it it, it gets verbal arguments. Verbal arguments end up getting obviously get heated, and uh, I said some things I probably shouldn't have said. You know, things like, "I'm, you know, I'm not going to kiss your ass." Um, you know, I'm here to do a job. I'm here to take care of my people. Uh, but he started getting under my skin. He, 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 he truly did. He started like denying training requests. I put in this, started denying, um, PTO requests, uh, pay time off requests. I put in, uh, things, things like that. And that, and that was, that, that was very frustrating. And, um, so it so it got to the point where he started picking on me like physically, um you know, I don't like your hairstyle. one of the things he did, which i i had remember like it was yesterday, I had a picture of my wife on my desk my my wife is absolutely beautiful, and I, I i'm not I'm not bragging, but my my wife's the most important thing in my life is 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 my wife. I had a picture of her on my desk. He got eight by ten pictures of the sheriff, and he said, "Take your wife's picture off and put your the sheriff's picture on your desk mm. I'm like I, 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 are you that insane? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, the answer is obviously no, I'm not going to do that. Well, now it came time for evaluation time. And and I say this cause I, cause I, I used to teach supervisor classes or I, I yeah, let me take that back leadership classes. Cause I, I, there's a big difference between le- leadership and supervision. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things I, I used to say to uh new sergeants was when you do an evaluation, when you hand that evaluation to your, uh, to the person you're giving it to, they should never be surprised in that evaluation. You should, you should be prepared to have that difficult conversation uh, and, and things like that. So my evaluation was in my mailbox with a post-it note saying, if you want to talk about it, call my secretary and I'll and I, and I make an appointment to talk to her about it. Well, my, my evaluation was below standards. And I get a brag from it, Mike, I, I was a damn good cop. I, I really was. I was good with the community. I believe it or not, I was good with the bad guys. Uh, I was a, I was a good cop and I, and I was a good sergeant. I always say I took that to heart. And in the in the evaluation, he wrote in it that he's recommended my termination or a bare minimum to be demoted. Termination he, for what? Yeah. Uh, insubordination. Because uh, I didn't do what he was telling me to do. He would give me these daily tasks to do. And for the most part, I did them. Some of them I didn't do. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to say he, it was all him. Some of them, it was me rebelling uh, right. because I'm just, you know, I'm an Italian from Boston. We don't put up with BS. Yeah, you know, at, at all. <laughs> So um, that, that I took that to heart, I, I really did, because I said to myself, you know, I've only been a cop. I've been a cop since I was 21 years old. I really don't want to do nothing else, nor in all honesty, know how to do, do anything else. I mean, I worked in restaurants, I pumped gas, I worked for a moving company, things like that. No disrespect to those people that do that job, but that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah, I was a career right. cop. That was that was my goal. So that I, I i took that to heart, uh, and then I started thinking to myself, "You know uh, maybe I am worthless, and he used to call me worthless, but one of the things he used to call me was precious. He's like, mm. "Hello, precious Sergeant DeBona. that's an insult in my opinion okay my na- my name isn't precious, you know, but that but he would have that smirk on his face. now I'm going to go back to my childhood for a second if you don't mind yeah. um i was se- I was sexually abused when i was when I was a child by a police officer. I grew up without a dad. The person that uh, sexually abused me was was an evil person. This went on for seven, eight years. I never reported it. Um, he would say things to me like, um, um, "You need to do this because I can get you. I can. I, I played baseball, you know, all through high school and little league and all that. I can get you as a the starting first baseman. I can get you a job as a cop if you do this and you do that. On and on and on. And I took his, I took his physical and mental, mental abuse. One of the things he said to me one time um, during during one of my one of the uh, encounters with my abuser was um, he called me precious you're know, my precious boy um, when oh, when wow. that lieutenant called me precious that was a trigger honestly Mike I I wanted to choke him out I I, I just all I can envision was the person that sexually abused me Richie uh, was his face on that lieutenant's body if that makes any sense plus yeah. again he was a cop. So I saw the uniform, I saw the authority. Um, that just triggered me to no end, to the point where um, I had a—I never in my life experienced a panic attack. I saw it um, from being on calls with people that had panic attacks, or growing up seeing them, but I never had one myself. The chest pains, the sweat, the shaking, the—you uh, um, feel like you're going out, you're just losing it. You just, you just losing it, and it was just a horrible feeling I had. So during the course of all this going on, um, I started thinking about the sexual abuse and I, he, I started relating him as him abusing me emotionally, not physically, the lieutenant, but emotionally. So um, during the course of all this, the uh, the recommended termination or demotion, um, and one thing he said to me, he goes, you know, I, I said to him, I said, well, what you're doing is you're singling me out. You're picking on me because I'm I'm not one of your boys. He said to me, he looked back and he smirked and said, why don't you go ahead and complain on me? Well, there's two reasons why There's a reason why I don't complain, and, and you'll agree with me. Like I can say is cops don't write out other cops. We just yeah. don't do that. Okay, we, we, we just don't. That's something that we, a culture that we have. Um, so, of course, I'm, I'm not going to rat him out. But he said to me, if you do rat me out, let me ask you this question. Do you golf with the sheriff? Because I do. Wow. So, what's that tell you? That, that, that tells me they're not going to listen to me. Again, right. but, but, but I'm not a rat. So um, I started struggling with, um, I was starting to have nightmares uh, about him, about my sexual abuser. Uh, I went to 9-11 um, five days after the towers were hit and I volunteered uh, two weeks up there. I started getting um, flashbacks of that, of, of, the, of the smell of death um, that I experienced when I was at 9-11, um, the somber effects. Um, and I, started, I started getting, And then during the course of this time, I went to a vehicle fire. And it was on a major highway. And when I got there with another deputy, um, we tried to put the fire out with our fire extinguishers. We couldn't because the f- car was fully engulfed. And we could hear the guy screaming for us to save him. And he died. Um, mm-hmm. And that's trauma. That, that truly is trauma. We, we, I, I watched a person die. I don't tell this, um, it, it, like you said right at the beginning of the podcast, Mike, I, I don't tell this, these, these stories for pity. That's the last thing. I don't want pity. I just want, uh, like you said, if somebody is struggling, somebody hears these things, you know, hopefully we can lead them down the path of, of getting some help. So I started having, uh, started having thoughts about that. Um, so, and then I started, um, I, I, my, I started getting on edge. And I started, um, I started becoming very defensive to my wife. Like my wife would say something that would just go off on her. And uh, again, I, there's nothing in this world I love more than my wife. And that was not me. And it got to the point where she would say to me, um, you need to get some help. You, you're, you're stressing out at work. Um, you're you gonna get some help we, we don't get help that we're, we're trained as cops we're the helpers we're, we're not the hell bees and the last thing I wanted to do is the word to get out that markbano went to a therapist or a mental health professional because now I'm going to be labeled as this person that's crazy and I, I don't like using that word crazy but that's the only way we can defy it uh, defy it right now so um, during the course of this also I was um, sitting at a fire station one night and and the fire department went out on the call. It's about one, two o'clock in the morning. And um, they go out to call. I wave as they drive by. And I'm sitting in the driveway of the fire station. All of a sudden, this car comes in. out It comes in in two wheels. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And this woman jumps out. She h- hands me the baby. She's like, I think my baby's not breathing. I'm on the way to the hospital. So I check the baby's pulse. No, there's, there's no pulse. It's not breathing. That's, uh, excuse my French, that's a holy shit. Y- mm-hmm. You know, i um, So I started doing CPR on the baby. I got on the radio. I said, I need the the paramedics here. Now, it seemed like it took him forever to get there. And I know it didn't. I I, I truly know it didn't. But doing CPR on a three-month-old baby is just absolutely horrific. I'm doing CPR. I'm breathing in the mouth. The the mom's yelling at me. And I I get why she's yelling. I, I truly get that. So the paramedics get there. We put the baby in the back of the ambulance. I'm riding the ambulance with the baby. Um, We get to the hospital. The doctors, nurses work on the baby. The baby baby, uh, died. While I was in the emergency room, I was in the room when the doctor told the mom and dad that the baby died. The father looked at me and started screaming at me. What do I pay you for? You know, I can't believe you let my baby die. I'm like, sir, I did not let your baby die. Don't talk to me. Get the hell away from me on and on and on and I and I and so I I drove off and I started crying and uh and I said to myself I, I wish he wasn't mad at me and I know he wasn't mad at me that was his stress of the of the moment I, I don't have kids I couldn't imagine losing a three-month-old baby I I just I just couldn't imagine I couldn't this could not imagine that so I said, uh, we had a meeting and, uh, and I, and I said in the meeting um, that, yeah, I had a really bad call the other night. Um, uh, you know, the baby died in my arms and on and on and on. And the Lieutenant looked at me and goes, precious, maybe if you knew how to do your job, that wouldn't have happened. That's
0: I I, I thought I was,
1: I, I, honest to God, I thought I was going to pass out. I, I, but the rage in me, Mike was just, I just want to go across that table. But I obviously, I, you know, I, I knew better not to go across that table now let, let's, let's put this all together. Now I start having nightmares of the baby, explicit, explicit nightmares that I go, I go to my mailbox, I open my mailbox, there was the baby. Uh, by the way, as I went to the baby's funeral um, uh, and, uh, and that, was, that was tough to do also. Um, and the family could have been any more nicer than me. I mean, they were so, so nice to me. Once, the, um, uh, once they realized that you know I did the best that I could do, um I was having I, I had nightmares of the I would drive down the street and I would look over my passenger seat of my cruiser and I thought I would see the baby sitting there. Um I would dream of my baby in my pool the baby in the pool. And I'm like what is going on with me what, what are these nightmares but I would wake up in a cold sweat I'd be shaking um I'd start screaming and my wife's like you've got to get help you're struggling that started causing some marriage issues to the point where I started sleeping in the spare bedroom or on the couch. Because I didn't want to see my wife this way. Also, what, what, uh, we, we, we talk about addictions is that I truly believe I had an addiction during this is I didn't turn to alcohol or drugs. I turned to food. And, uh, when I stressed out, which was all the time, I would eat, eat, and eat. I I would go to McDonald's, um, kind of the joke in police work, FHP, free half price. McDonald's gave us free food, so where does every cop go? They go where the free food is. So (laughs) that's that's definitely true. Any any cop that's listening to this goes, yep, I can definitely understand what he's saying with that. So I would get two Big Macs, a, a triple fries, a milkshake. Uh, I, I would just eat. Then, I would, five minutes later, I go to I go to Popeyes. I would just constantly eat eat Dairy Queen, and I wash it down with a Diet Coke, thinking, "Okay, no big deal." I gained forty three pounds in about three months. Um, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm six one. Uh, I and uh, but I got up to two hundred eighty pounds. Um, and I looked in the mirror, Mike, and I said, I, I don't like what I see. I just see this." person that i'm not because uh, that I, I'm, I'm i'm overweight i'm str- i have this look on my face of just distraught the guys at work were saying hey sarge you know what's going on with you are you okay get away from me don't talk to me so i became not a bully but i became very standoffish to uh the people i worked with and i was the exact opposite i was you know, the life of the party joking around uh you know all that stuff but i i started uh, struggling I, and, I, and I felt myself struggle, and I, I really, truly did. Well, one day I was driving to work, um, and he calls me, and he's just totally belittles me on the phone, just totally belittles me. And I hang up, and I have a panic attack while I'm driving. So I have to pull over. I pull over on the side of the road, I get out, I start throwing up. This car pulls in behind me, and this woman gets out, and she's in scrubs. And she's like, I'm a nurse. Can I help you? Can I help you? I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. She's like, no, no, you're having an issue here. She gets on the phone, calls 911. The fire department gets there. They check my blood pressure. It's 180 over 120. My heart rate's sky high. We're going to take you to the hospital. No, absolutely not. No way am I going to the hospital. So I sign out AMA against medical advice. I go to work that night. Um, I'm absolutely miserable. I'm thinking about all the stuff that's going on in my head. The baby. Uh, my marriage issues. Uh, am I going to be fired? Am I going to be demoted? What am I going to do? And but but, kept on ringing in my head was when he called me worthless. That just mm-hmm. um, you're worthless to this agency. I'm going to make you the sergeant that the agency wants. That ain't going to happen. That truly. So I said to a couple of people um, during the course of all this, "Hey, this lieutenant, he, you know, he's, he's, you know, this is, he's no good." And they're like, "No, nah, we, we don't want to get, we, we don't want to get involved in that. He's one of the boys." We're not. We're not going to get involved now. So I felt alone, really alone. Um, so that night, um, we I answered a couple of calls. Now it's about 11, 12 o'clock at night. I parked in an industrial park, and it just hit me like a brick wall. It really did. I started visualizing my abuser, Richie. I started visualizing the the uh, the lieutenant. I started visualizing the baby. Um, nine 11, I started, I was hearing voices in my head and I'm like, this is it. I, I, I can't take this anymore. I, I, I can't, I was raised Catholic. I don't practice Catholic religion anymore. That's for another topic, but uh, I don't, uh, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I believe in God and I'm very spiritual. So I, 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 I prayed to God and I felt, and I really hate to say this when I say this, but I, um, I was, I felt God didn't answer me. And I know he did. I truly know he did, but either I was just too bullheaded or I just didn't accept what his answer was. So I started getting suicide thoughts and I said to myself, oh my God, you know, only, only people that they're losing it, you know, die by suicide. And, and as much as I hate to say it, I would go to suicide calls and I would read the suicide note and they'd say, I, I, I shot myself because I, I lost my job or, or my wife left me or something like that. And I'm like, really? You can't move on from that? That's what I would think to myself. Now mm-hmm. I'm in their shoes. And, uh, and it, I, my, obviously my opinion is a lot different now. So I wrote a suicide note and on the suicide note, the first page was to the agency, how much I hated the, how much I hated going to work, how much I hated them and how much I hated that lieutenant flip the page over on the second page, uh, was to my wife and to my mom. My mom was alive there. My mother, mother since passed away, God rest her soul. Um, was please don't judge me please understand this is the only way i can get rid of the pain is by dying and uh, i it's really weird what i did what i did was i took the letter and i put it in one of those paper plastic holders that the, your paper protector holder type things and i took some evidence tape out and i hung it off my rearview mirror and here's why i did that because i said to myself when i shoot myself when the blood splatter they're still going to be able to see the note i thought like a cop that cuz i yeah. wanted them to read that no i wanted it, which is weird to me that's kind of weird to be honest with you um then i put in i, I i'm really into music and i put in uh, a cd um guns N' roses welcome to the jungle welcome to the jungle is a really good rock song it pumps you up it's good ear guitar song and i put that in there i and i started listening to it well that's when i took my gun out and i said here we go and i said i said another prayer to god was please accept me into heaven. Uh, yeah, I'll be your protector. I'll work the front gate, whatever, whatever needs to be done. But I, I want to go to heaven. I, I really do. So I put the gun in my mouth and it, and it, it was a very calming fear. to this day. I can still, I, I can still taste the oil in my mouth, the, the metal, the cold. Um, and, uh, I put the gun in my mouth. I go, here we go. This is it. See you later. Uh, and I put my head back on the headrest and I'm getting, re- I'm getting ready to squeeze the trigger. With my eyes closed, I could see a car come in. I could see headlights. While well, I open my eyes up, it's, an- it's another police car, another cruiser. And I, so I took my gun out of my mouth and I put it between my legs. And the deputy that pulled up, uh, Craig McGee, we used to call him the Whopper, uh, uh, just a great guy. He looks at me and my nickname is Bone. And he, he used to call me Sergeant Bone. He's like, Sergeant Bone, what's going on? And I go nothing, Craig. He goes no. What is going on? And I said, Craig, I'm I'm going to kill myself, and I want you to get the hell out of here. I'm your sergeant. You do as I tell you to do. Get out of here. He goes no. I am not. I am not going to leave you. Absolutely not. You're my brother. I love you. You're my brother. Well, that brought a tear down the side of my face. And he he talked. He obviously talked me off the ledge. He uh, he he did. One of the things he said to me. He goes he goes. Uh, he would never call me Mark. He always called me Sergeant Bone. Uh, He said, I just can't call you Mark. as a respect thing that that's fine. But he goes, you know, Sergeant Bone, I want you to get some help. If you don't get help, I'm going to Baker act you in Florida. That's what we call the three day involuntary mental health uh, order. We call it a Baker act. I'm going to be, I said, Craig, if you Baker act me, you're screwing me. I'm going to lose my job. Uh, Because the stigma says, if you seek help, you're a weak person. And, agencies don't understand that. So I said, Craig, you can't do that to me, brother. You just can't, you can't do that to me. He goes, well, are you going to get help? I said, I'll get some help. So I called the watch commander that night and said, listen, I, I need to go home, made up some BS story that I wasn't feeling good or something like that. Uh, I go home, um, I have a couple of beers and now I'm sitting at my pool and I get the suicide, suicide thoughts again. And now my my gun is now sitting on the table with my beer bottles. And uh, I say, yep, now I'm I'm definitely going to do it now. There's there's nobody here to stop me. My wife, we live in a two-story home. My wife's up on the second floor, sound asleep. She doesn't even know I'm home. Um, I'm going to do it. Then I started thinking to myself, yep, yep. I started getting the courage up to do it. um, And uh, so I put the gun back in my mouth. But then I started thinking about my wife, that when she comes downstairs to go to work, when she sees the pool doors open, what's she going to see? Her husband laying there in a puddle of blood that's going to cause her trauma that's going to cause that's you know obviously going to cause issues so i called a buddy of mine um uh, that that uh, is affiliated with the boston police stress unit and i told him that uh, i told him i have suicide thoughts he talked me into coming up to boston so i went up to boston uh, a day later um i called um I called the patrol captain. I didn't call the lieutenant. And I, I lied. And I said, listen, but there's a crisis going on in my family right now, which in all reality, there, there is a crisis going on. Um, yeah, you. Yeah, so me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, B, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge crisis, you know. Yeah. But like we say in Boston, that's a wicked crisis. Yeah, you know. So um, so I go I go up to Boston. And I'm not going to lie. It was very intimidating, extremely intimidating. Because I, But I lied. I lied. So listen, I got to go home and take care of some issues. He was great. No problem. Take all the time you need. We got you on and on and on. Well, when I get to, uh, when I get to the Boston Police Stress, you know, I'm talking, obviously talking to the, the, you know, the uh, professionals in there. And they gave me an option that either we're going to Baker Act you or you can voluntarily go into a home uh, for first responders and get some help. And I'm like, you don't understand that it, it, I'm going to be ruined. They're like, no, you're not going to be ruined. Uh, so, they, so, I, so I said, okay, I, I'll, I'll, I'll voluntarily go. So I go um now as we know in any type of mental health facility you you get patted down obviously before you go back into uh to the facility understandably so because you can't bring weapons in there or anything like that well this guy comes out um and and, uh the only way to describe him mike is he looked like mr t uh a black guy with a mohawk all the gold the guy's about six eight uh muscles on top of muscles i'm looking at him going yeah, I'm going to, to listen to everything he has to say because this is not going to turn out well for me if I don't. You know? <laughs> uh, and again, I'm a big guy. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm 6'1". So um, he says, hey, Mark, I'm going to pat you down. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, no problem, no problem. Well, he goes to pat me down, and we he me down, I give him a two-hand strike. I'm like, get your hands off me, man. Don't touch me. I went into police mode. You know. And, and as we know, you know, we don't let people get close to us. We don't let people touch us or anything like that. He's like, don't be like that. I'm like, don't you tell me what to do. And uh, he's like, "Come on, man! I've been where you're at. No, no, no. I'm like, there is no way you've been where I'm at. Uh-uh, I don't believe you. At a guy, look, it looks, you know, this guy, this muscles on top of muscles guy. That's why I volunteer at this, at this, at this place because I, I want to help my brothers. I'm like, well, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. He goes to Pabby down again. I push him off again. He does some Chuck Norris." Whatever move, and he puts me he 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 puts me right on the floor, literally right on the floor. So they bring me back to the treatment facility. I have a panic attack, and I have asthma. Now they have to call the uh, fire department. They call the fire department. Fire department transports me now to an emergency room. While I am in the back of the ambulance, I am in the in the uh, paramedics. uh you, you know, and that's not me. I am such a happy go lucky guy. This is it's a side of me I never saw before. It was a demon. You know, um, so we get to the emergency room and one thing I learned, my wife's a registered nurse. One thing I've learned, I learned in life was you don't piss off nurses. And, um, so what's the first thing I did? I pissed off the ER nurse. Yeah. You know, and, uh, I was just, 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 I was so obnoxious to her. So she said to me, she was Mark, I, um, a couple of things are going to happen here. Um, we need to get a blood and urine sample. You, you're not going to get that from me. I got nothing to hide, but you're not going to get that from me. We're gonna do this easy way, or we're gonna do it the hard way. Well, we're gonna do it the hard way. Oh boy, she wasn't lying. I, I got the catheter. Um, it was it was not, it was not oh pleasant. My, my oh God. my! Yeah, let me throw this claim right. I think I would have taken the easy way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, looking back, you know, we, we we live and learn through life, and yeah, yeah, I definitely would take it easy. That that sucked. <laughs> There's no question about that. Um, so now now they put me. Um, they put me they, 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 they put me in a, in a facility um, a, a med psych facility not, not a site not, not a first responder home a hospital so uh, I'm very combative they uh, they end up strapping me into the bed now I want every cop to hear me when I say this if you don't hear a thing I'm saying in this during the whole podcast I want you to think about this picture yourself as a cop with your with your wrists and your ankles uh, in a restraint where you can't even ca- scratch your nose there goes oh there goes all our power there goes everything that with that we that we do as cops has been taken away while I'm laying in that bed where I came and scratched my nose I'm just like my life is a total disaster right now it, it can it can it get any worse in the in my opinion no it couldn't get any worse well it did get worse uh about uh, six or seven hours later my mother comes in and I uh, my, I was very very close to my mom and I said to my mom I, I couldn't hug my mom and that was, that was, that was heartbreaking. It really was. Uh, and I asked her to take the restraints off me and she wouldn't. And, and I got mad at her because of that. So uh, long story short, um, I was discharged from the hospital and I went to the facility, but here's what I did at the facility. And you'll agree with me when I tell you this, cops are the big, are the best liars in the world. Aren't we? We, we, we truly oh, yeah. are. We, oh, we yeah. can talk a dog off a meat wagon. Yeah. You, you know, um, it just, we, we know what to say. So what did I do? told them what they wanted to say, yeah, you know, what they wanted to hear. Yeah. So now I, so I, so I sign out, I sign, uh, I sign out now, now I'm going back to work. I go back to work. I'm absolutely miserable. Uh, I'm, I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off at the world on and on and on and on. I um, went to one therapist to another, didn't get any connection with the therapists. Uh, I was very, very up, very upset. The only, the, the bonus of the whole thing was I was transferred uh, to a different lieutenant who was, Phenomenal. She she really was. She truly, really truly was. But I was still struggling. Um, so um, I go to a training class, and this is where I learned how the agency doesn't love you. Um, so I went to a training class. And, let me back up for a second. The word got out that 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 I was I was committed. That I I uh, room, you know cops rumors. Uh, I pulled my gun on the lieutenant. That's why I wasn't around for three weeks. Uh, you know, I was on suspension. Um, yeah, you know, uh, all these rumors, you know, and I'm like, these are so far from the truth, but I, only, I never told anybody wh- what I did. And, um, so now I'm in a training class and this guy comes in who's never, who's never been a cop. So I say that for a reason. He was a, uh, he was a hack. They, they sent him to the Academy. He got certified. They gave him a cushiony job, never spent a day on the road. He's talking to Now the training class was a supervisor class, part of it was recognizing stress. I'm like, oh well, I could <laughs> I could definitely relate to that, you know. And he's reading out of a book and he's talking about nightmares, he's talking about this. So I'm like, dude, you you don't get this. You never spent a day on the road, you don't get the job-related stress. Then he's like, and this agency, if your struggle will back you 100 percent I said, okay, let me take advantage of that. Really? So I raised my ha- I raised my hand, I said, Can I speak? He's like absolutely. So I get up there. This is the first time I ever shared my story, and every word was f this, f the agency. Uh, you guys don't care. I, I, I was very angry, extremely angry, extreme, you know, very, very angry. That led to a discipline. That led that led to a, a write up and a meeting with the sheriff, which I'll be honest with you, was not pleasant by any means. Not not by not by any means. So, um, I, so I started, um, I started doing presentations, talking to the media, started doing presentations. My agency told me that, um, you're not allowed to say who you work for. Uh, you're not, you're not, you're not going to say you're a, uh, you're, 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 you're a deputy. Uh, we're going to make your PowerPoint for you. We're going to tell you what to say to the media. No, absolutely not. No, no. And, um, so I, um, so I so I started doing presentations and I and I, I and I spoke very angry. So what I what I learned from this was um, anger is not going to get you anything. It's Not going to get you at all. Some they said they say they say the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Um, sure, yeah, it absolutely does. But people are going to listen to you more when you're more um, what's the word I'm looking for? More presentable. When, you, when you're able to speak like we're talking right now, we, we're not raising our voices. We're not getting excited or, or anything like that. So, um, I, so I came out with my struggles and um, it was horrible. I mean, absolutely horrible how c- command staff people were telling me, you can't talk about this. You can't do, th- we don't have those issues. One thing one of the captains said to me that really set me off was, you're saying this story for pity. You're saying this so we can feel bad, so you can make lieutenant. Um, I never took lieutenant test once in my whole career, um, and I didn't want to make people feel bad. I told the story so I could help others. So my present therapist said to me that um, you can't help anybody unless you get better. It's true. If she's hundred percent. She's she's if she's the next cop, she's one hundred percent. One hundred percent. She's one hundred percent better. So I so I started changing my presentations to. Mark de Bonner talk, and not angry Mark, but the the Mark de Bonner that everybody knows, the the guy that likes to joke around, the guy that makes fun of himself, makes fun of others, in a good way, of course. That uses humor, that uses real life things. Uh, I I started teaching this at the academy, and uh, changed my whole presentation around. And in my presentation, I, I make fun of myself. Yeah, you know, uh, and there's not there's, there's there's nothing wrong with that. If you can't laugh at yourself, who can you laugh at? Um, so things have got a, when, when I say 100% better, I, I mean truly 100% because I recognize that I was this very angry person that just would not accept help. And through therapy, uh, through an, one thing, uh, my, th- my therapist's name is Jamie. One thing Jamie said to me is, you have to remember one thing, Mark, there's things in life you can't control, such as the administration. And she goes, I'm not asking you to suck up to the administration. I'm just asking you to roll with it. And I said, but I, I, I said, roll with this goes, You can roll with it. They want you to do something. Just put a smile on your face and do it. As long as it's not unethical or illegal, just do it. Absolutely do it. Well, I got a little poetic justice. This Lieutenant ended up getting demoted to sergeant. So this, so that was a little, um, that was, that was, that was a little, uh, that made me feel pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. And then shortly after that, he resigned because I personally think his ego got the best of him and, um. Because he used to say things to me like um, you 're only a sergeant, you don 't get this well, a month ago you were only a sergeant um, so what i 've learned is is that um, through my experiences in life that um, God only gives you the, the, so much that you can handle so what, so my goal now is to help my brothers and sisters or anybody that is struggling with a mental health issue. Suicide uh, or, or suicide attempt, and I go around and I talk about uh, my darkest times, but I also talk about my my happy times. I was able to get my career back on track, where I started enjoying go back going to work again. But it's just so that the politics, you know, like we talked about earlier, that the politics, uh, I just never, I just never could, I just never could be involved in that. But I wanted to devote myself to more time. Um, with my organization, Blue Help, and uh, more time uh, assisting people. So when it came time to uh, to retire, um, I retired. I, I got my 25, and I, I lasted 25 years in one month, and I got the heck out. And I feel, when I say 110% better, that's that's not even giving it some. I, I'm growing my hair out. I'm trying to do that rock and roll look with the long hair. Uh, I, I uh, That makes me happy. My marriage is my marriage is back on track. It's it, the, these last uh, years have been absolutely like we're on we're like we're honeymooners again. Um, mm-hmm. It just uh, and I and I and this is you know because of my wife, um, you know, because she she helped me get back on track. Also, she always had my back. She I had, she had my back, no doubt whatsoever. But I didn't like what I was providing her this angry, mad, overweight, uh, obnoxious person that she lived with. And she put up with that. She should get an award for that. Yeah. You know, Um, and um, I was able to drop the weight uh, and I was able just to be, to do things in life. I uh, grew up in Boston. I'm a huge Red Sox fan. I stopped watching baseball during my struggles. Uh, I stopped listening to music. I stopped doing things that I, I enjoy and then through my last couple of years on the job and more so in my retirement is I do things I enjoy doing. I, I I have a pool. I love sitting by my pool and putting my Bose headphones on and cranking up some Motley Crue or Air Supply or whoever, you know, you know whatever. Uh, and I love doing it. I love taking my dogs for a walk. I love spending time with my wife. I love having date night with my wife. Now the question I get is, do you, st- do you get stressed out? Of course I do. A- a- absolutely, I do. But I've learned now that I'm not going to. I'm not going to uh, be emotional from it. and What I mean by that is I'm not going to go off the. I'm not going to go off the handle. I'm, I'm going to deal with it as as it comes along. Now sometimes life throws you a curveball where you you don't expect the curveball coming in, but you you can handle this. You can. Um, it was tough to go to work. I'm diagnosed with PTSD and depression and anxiety, and there was times I, I, it's, I had panic attacks on my road to recovery. Um, I had a panic attack um, about six months ago in my retirement, but I was able to talk myself out of the panic attack, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah, and I, I was pretty proud of myself, to be honest with you, by talking myself out of that panic attack. Um, but I just do things now, that, that enjoy, like, like my latest accomplishment was, We were converting uh, uh, our living room. We have a small living room into my home office. I bought a desk online. I put the desk together. Uh, I put my pictures. uh, I put my news. I I put a picture of uh, me on the job. I put a picture of my wife, uh, Red Sox stuff. I put all this happy stuff around my desk. And that was you you have a a picture of the sheriff on the, on the desk. I do not. No, no. And don't ask for one. (laughs) (laughs) So, so. I will say this: I have a picture of Trump on my desk, so, 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 and that's another story. So, so, but, uh, but I just felt I felt in my later years uh, that I was more of a value of helping people that are struggling, instead of being this angry person. Yeah. And I always believed in the brotherhood. But one thing that really set me off was I put in for the peer support unit, and I didn't get it. And I said to myself, oh, my God, I, I, you know, I was suicidal at one time. I can talk, you know, and I, I didn't get it. The guy that ran the peer support unit was the guy I pissed off in the training class and the one that actually uh, recommended the discipline on me. So there's the office politics right there. I eventually yeah. got on yeah. the peer support unit, but I put in for three times. And the third time I finally got it, I had people coming up to me at work, Mike, saying I went down the list of our peer support specialists. I'll never call them. I'll call you if I need something. I took that as a compliment, I, I, I really, I really did. And since my, since my retirement, um, I'm down to 215 pounds, I, I weighed, oh, uh, I weighed, yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty proud of myself. I weighed 258 uh, pounds when I retired, I'm down to 258, uh, 215 pounds. I love, love, I love life, I, I just really do. Uh, next week, my wife and I, we talk about Pinellas County, we're going over to Treasure Island, we're going to spend three days on Treasure, uh, three nights on Treasure Island. We absolutely love that area, we love going to the beach. So I do things that make me happy. Um, Do I get triggered every once in a while? Sure. Yeah, absolutely I do. But I know how to recognize my triggers and I know to do things for myself. And also, one thing my wife said to me is, I love what you do helping other people, but you've got to take care of your own mental health also. So when you're up at two o'clock in the morning sending emails out and doing this and doing that, she's take a break. You, you know, uh, you know, and things. She's right. She goes. She, she, she's one hundred percent right. I still go to therapy. I, you know, I, I'm on am I'm, I'm, I'm on a maintenance plan now. I was going to go into therapy three times a week. Uh, my medication has, has lowered. Uh, I'm exercising more. I'm running. I'm, I'm working out. Uh, uh, and it's just, it's really good. life, life is just truly, truly, really good. And and I, and I, I, I just hope somebody can learn from my experiences. And Again, I don't say this for pity. I don't say this. Oh, your poor Mark, that poor guy. Look at the look at the trauma he went through. No, a- absolutely not. If somebody's listening to this podcast and is saying, "Hey, I get that. I-, I get the panic attacks. I get the uh, I get the bullying. I I get the uh, the suicide thoughts. Something like that. And I'm going to go get help. Or how do I get help? Then that's what we do. And if I could plug uh, Blue Health for a second, my organization, um, we have a on our on our website we have a, a link, and it's called First Help. You click on that yeah. and you put in basic information, and that will lead you to a mental health professional in your area that specializes with first responders. And I and I and I am a big advocate for that. Your mental health professional says they should have some type of connection for um, um, uh, for first responders because as we know, Mike, and I think you'll agree with me when I tell you when I say this, every agency has EAP, a employee assistance program. Who's going to go to that? Not many yeah. people because why? We believe Big Brother's looking over our shoulder. And, uh, but I, 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 do, I hold resentment towards my old agency. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I, I absolutely. But there, I hold resentment, but that, that's a close chapter in my life. Okay. I, uh, when I drive down the street and I see a traffic stop, I say, Oh, look at that. You know? If the cop was rolling on the ground, I'd be the first one to jump out and help that cop. Okay, oh, sure. but I, I don't. Yeah. I don't walk up to cops say, "Hey, I'm a retired cop," and you, you know, I, 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 yeah, I'm Machiavella now. You know, I'm the guy with all the tattoos now and the long hair. You know, and uh, yeah, longer hair I should say because uh, I'm still trying to grow it out. But I'm just that. I'm just I've, because I've, as we know, Mike, and you'll agree with me when I tell you when I say this. Being being any first responder, that's your identity. Um. You know, you watch cop shows. Who do you hang out with? You hang out with other cops. Who do you, uh, you know, you, you wear the cop t-shirts? You know, you wear the cop baseball hat, or so, more so firefighters. And I'm not dumping on firefighters, but you know, they they wear a lot of that stuff. And uh, <laughs> but I've learned, I, <laughs> and I love my firefighters. I'm not, I'm not making fun of firefighters. I have close friends that are firefighters, and they they come over my house and they're wearing a fire t-shirt. I'm like, really, bro? I got. to, i got a Marley crew t-shirt you can put on yeah yeah you know you know, or, <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. and i wear shirts and i and, and it's funny because I, I i wear a lot of music shirts because music is a big part of my life and it's part yeah. of my happiness yeah, me and, too, uh, actually, yeah 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 so you can definitely relate to that yeah. and so it's, uh, that t-shirt makes me happy um my going out for a run makes me happy spending time with my wife that makes me happy walking my dogs talking to my dogs it <laughs> makes me happy uh, It just I, I look at life totally different right now um, and I just hope your listeners can hear that that uh is there is uh, there is, there is life after the job and there is life uh, after your struggles you can get better but the only yeah. person that can make you better is you. that's it. You're the person that has to say, yes, I need to get help, or yes, I need to get this off my chest. And you're the only person that can do that. The, the greatest therapist in the world can get you to a point, but you have to accept that point and not self-medicate alcohol or drugs, uh, food, um, or, or unhealthy coping skills. You know, those Those you can't do. You've got to do something positive in your life. That that will make you happy, and and life life is good. Life 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 is uh, really good, and and I I I'm very much enjoying it. I truly am. I'm 56 years old. I plan to be around for a long long time, and hopefully, I will be. Uh, and I I enjoy life. I really do. And this is my passion, as you can probably tell.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you and I both.
1: And I yeah, tell you, Mark. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, there, there. Wow, there is, and we could go on for hours uh, talking about uh, about this because there's just so much there uh, in your story. And and even though my struggle was with alcohol, um, it you know, I've often I've often said this that addiction is addiction is addiction, and and I talk about that in another podcast as well that um you know. What we all have in common is those addictions, and you mentioned food, and that that absolutely is is an addiction itself. It's no, it, it's a way of coping, and we right. talk about causes and conditions, meaning that that's the physiological part, you know, the the of the addiction, but the cause is what what was it that drove it? And there's a lot that drives us to. The point that we are are at and you you talked about and a lot of it's rooted in, in our childhood to be honest with you and right. you mentioned your story about uh you know the sexual abuse and who that was from and this was an authority figure in your life and and how that was represented later on with uh with the lieutenant um but we all have that and that's what recovery is all about in recovery is you know like you know people always say well i'm going to go to aa or i'm going to go to a 12-step meeting and because uh, i'm going to that's going to get me to stop drinking and and actually the 12-step programs don't stop you from drinking they, they or they don't they don't get you to stop they they prevent you from starting drinking because then when you start then that's that's what creates the the progression of addiction as we know it but once you stop drinking or drugging or having any other issue whether it's food or anything else once you have put that into remission then the key then in the, the, so the rest of the 12 steps is figuring out um Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And so the key to that is to figure out what's going on in our life and then preventing that from getting us, creating those resentments and those dark spaces that want us to go back and start. All over again with our our particular addiction. And you you figured that out. And you took the necessary steps of getting into therapy and getting help and working on others. And it seems like on your own, you discovered that thing that we talked about earlier. And that is that the secret to this whole thing is helping others help themselves. And by helping them... You ultimately help yourself, and and you really hit on something. I'm telling you, you and I have so much in common. I mean, music. I, I have uh, a very eclectic sense of of, of music and, and taste and interest. Like you, you mentioned, like uh, you can be listening to uh, Motley Crue one minute and Air right. Supply the next. minute. Now, that's that's a pretty wild. Wall- that's a, that's, pretty, huge, that's a pretty yeah. wide yeah. thing. But I, yeah. I do the same thing as well. But, you know, you have your hobbies, whether it's working out, whether it's playing the guitar, listening to music, cars, whatever the
1: I'm working on that right now, Mike. It's funny you should say that. Play, I, I'm tr- trying to learn to play the guitar. and I, I, I love it. I, I, I and, totally and love me it. Me too. Yep. T-
0: I think I think you and I are like – We're separated we-
1: at birth, bro. <laughs> there's no, there's no Mark, question about it. I think you and it, you know? I might
0: even be the same person because we have so many interests. But you know, we talk about in recovery, in the and in, in the listeners that are out there, you need to ask yourself, do you have what are called the Eustace? The Eustace. I used to do this. I used to do that. I used to fish. I used to play the guitar. I used to mm-hmm. go to the movie. Whatever. The Eustace. I used to do that. And now you're not doing it anymore. And a lot of times it's because we are so wrapped up in our addiction. We are so wrapped up in our job, which is also can be another form of addiction. I you know, I know some oh, people oh, that are affected oh, by that. Oh,
1: and, yeah, and, you yeah.
0: Know, and, and the problem with that, particularly in law enforcement, but I'll tell you, it's not just law enforcement. It can be any job that's out there is, you know, you and I both know now that we're retired, because I, I think it's clearer to me now that I'm retired, and I'm sure it is the same with you, is how much of my damn identity of who I Am was wrapped up in the fact that I was an FBI agent. It was my life. It was my soul. It was it was everything. And bro, I can I can relate to that one hundred
1: percent. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I get I get that. But the problem is, and I think for a lot of people that are listening here, is we are so particularly now with COVID nineteen going on, and and people Mm -hmm. losing their jobs and getting laid off, and and I and I think every night about the people that are you know have lost what you know whatever their their thing was that they were doing working wise and now they, and it was taken from them because of all the layoffs and the different things that were going on that are going on right now. And I really worry about them. And my message to people is this, that your identity cannot, cannot be wrapped up in your profession because look, I did not come into this world as an FBI agent and I am not going to be leaving this world as an FBI Amen, agent. Amen brother. And the Amen, fact brother. is, the fact is my wife and and I, my wife uh, we've been married this year 31 years and you've been married a long time and i along with you i owe my life to my wife and i remember one time in one of my little pity parties at the height of my addiction my wife actually saying i was talking about the fbi and i was lamenting and talking about the politics and uh, talking about how shitty it can be at times and how nasty people right. can be and my wife actually said to me i met you when you were 19 years old You didn't have two dimes to your name. You didn't have a car that ran. You had no money. You had nothing. And I loved you then. And she goes, why the hell do you think I love you anymore because you're an FBI agent now? She goes, I had no idea that's what you were going to go into. And by the way, uh, later in our years, you'll have nothing to do with the FBI. I don't give a damn about the FBI, and I really wish you'd stop caring uh, about it. You need to take care of yourself and know that I love you and know that we – we have a future. You are a human being, and it's that that's soul huge. you need to that's take care
1: huge. of. Yeah, and true, that's huge. Yeah,
0: it's true. But it's true. Oh, it's, it's, hum- well, it's like is, I said earlier, Mike.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, the job may love you, may love the job, but the job doesn't love you. And me you ask you is, this, Mark. Yeah.
0: So, and I uh, listen. When I I could go back to my old office right now, and walk into that that office, and I bet you over half the people in there wouldn't even know who I am. Oh yeah, uh, they wouldn't yeah. even know who yeah. I was. Yep, that's how that's how important you are, and, and not just in our. I mean, any organization. You leave, and two weeks later, never heard of you. That's how yep. important you are, and you always yep. have to remember that 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 it's it's you you have to take care of yourself. And and something else that you mentioned that really touched a, a nerve with me is that you've got to get. I know in the addiction world, I I can I did not get well. I did not get sober until I wanted to get sober there were a lot of people that were telling me that i needed to get sober there were a lot of people telling me what what i needed to do Mm -hmm. and 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 let me tell you it was a long road for me but it wasn't until i sat down and said okay i've had enough and there's two options, live or die. Because I, if I had to continue with my drinking, I'd, I'd be dead right now. There's no doubt about it. Now, right. uh, but what, but nobody as well-intentioned as they were. And there were a lot of very well-intentioned people in my life. But it didn't matter until I decided myself that I wanted to get help and then did what I needed to do and took the steps uh, to to get sober. And, and today, the only thing that keeps me um, sober, and we all, like you mentioned, uh, we all go through uh, uh, tough times even now. In your life, you go through tough times. In my life, I go, I'm going, I actually, as we speak, I'm going through tough times. But I don't mm-hmm. go back and drink over it because I've learned. I've learned recovery. I've learned um, the importance of my maintenance and my the, the, the tools that I have now that I have to break out of my toolbox and it sounds like you have a lot of tools that you're utilizing right. to to right. not go back to that dark place you
1: because because there's, there's a better place that's why you know, you know yeah. you know in all honesty the easy way is probably to go to the dark place. Um, you, you know, that's just the path of least resistance, okay? Yeah. But we're, 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 both, we're, we're both in the same mindset that uh, we're not going to do that. Absolutely, we're not going back. To, we're not going to be used to, okay? We, we're not going to do that. That's a close. No, it's not a closed chapter in our lives by any means because I'm sure you think of it every single day like I, like I do. But it's just, um, okay, I've learned from that and, and, I, and I became a better person because of that. Yeah. So sometimes something bad in your life actually turns out to be something rewarding long-term. If that makes right. any sense, it's yeah, right. You know, it, it really does. You know, uh,
0: you take the, you do the next right thing. You you take the next step forward. And I think too t- too often we look at th- these things that that happen in our life as being the end, when sometimes they are actually the beginning. And we worry. Uh, you know, one time I heard this, Mark that that. Over ninety-five percent of the things that we worry about happening in our lives actually don't happen. And like like you, here's another uh here's another thing that you had that's similar to my my path is when I got help and I went to treatment because I did go to treatment, I thought my career was over. I was convinced yep. that my career was over. And in, in fact, that did not happen. Um in one could argue that me having gone through treatment and, and really kind of being open about my recovery opened some doors because I was actually given – I was blessed with being given the opportunity to help other employees and help other – and worse, you and I are sitting here right now talking on this podcast about it. Right. And, and think of the opportunities that this is doing – for, for you and I to help other other people, well, we wouldn't oh, be here doing this if it, if it wasn't the experiences. And so if there's anybody Absolutely. out there listening right now, your life is just beginning and it will be 100% better than where your life is at right now. And you just have to understand that as long as you're on on the right path, you're doing the next right thing, you may not be happy with everything that that comes your way, but everything that comes your way will be important and it is useful as long as you're helping other people. Um, I believe God has you know God has a plan for uh, our life. That, that's just what well, I believe. I agree
1: I agree with you 100%
0: with you on that absolutely. But that's God's plan. And what yeah. God's plan for my life is not my business, but my job is just to do what I'm I'm called to do. And that that is is helping other people. But if if you're listening right now and you're struggling, please call the number that that mark talked about uh get that help it it will not be the end of your life it will open doors and i'll tell you the toughest the toughest group to work with are are cops and agents that i work with because we are trained to never give up to you know never admit wrong not 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 admit right. wrong that's that's not the right word but to admit weakness how about that uh we are trained to not admit show it.
1: weakness yeah yeah yep but this is not okay. a weakness no, no, not, not at all. This is, this is the cause you're dealing with right now, you know, uh, and, and it's not, no, and I love what you say that. It's definitely not a weakness. It's just, it's an unfortunate thing that's going on right now. And you're not a weak person for identifying it, but you're going to be the strong person to get rid of it or, or mm-hmm. not to I may not get rid of to fight it, to fight it. That's what, that's, that's what it is. And as we as cops, we're trained to be warriors. We're trained to fight. So let's take some of that um uh build up adrenaline that we have inside us. It's like when you um you, you go to arrest somebody, you're a little pumped up and something like that. Well let's use that energy to help yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and if you and if you could can some of that energy, you're doing pretty good. Really good actually.
0: Yeah. So Mark, I really do appreciate you uh being with us tonight and, and sharing your story with us and your information and can you give us one more time the, uh, the website and the information that you gave
1: earlier just in case somebody uh, would like to call in Absolutely. it's www it's uh, bluehelp.org bluehelp.org that's our main uh, page of uh, website page on there if you click on um, resources you'll see first help. And when you click on that, that's when you'll be able to put your information. And I will tell you this because I, I know people are going to be skeptical. Oh, my God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to type in some information. Someone's going to be knocking at my door. My job's going to find out. They're not going to find out. It's co- it's confidential. Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, so first help is, uh, it sounded a little cliche, it's helped a lot of people. It really has. And we have a database of, I think, about 250, I'm guessing, um, Mental health providers, sleep. Um, I actually just spoke to a person a couple weeks ago about. Uh, he's a sleep specialist, and we put him on there, and that guy was phenomenal talking about sleep in the first responder world. I've never heard anybody talk about that. How important that is. So, uh, that, so that that's that's the link. And there's also cop line. There's back the blue. There's a lot of uh, support lines. But I will say to my brothers and sisters, and this includes everybody, if you're struggling, any help is good help. Absolutely. And, then, uh, and I will say this also, I use this line all the time and it's, um, I, I would like to trademark it, but somebody stole it. It's uh, its okay not to be okay. Absolutely. That's, oh, I, I yeah, love that. Yeah. I love that line. Yeah. I yeah. really it's, do. It, and that is so true. It's so, so, it's so true, you know, and you'll get through this. You will. You, you're you going to have your peaks and you're going to have your valleys, but, you know, Mike, we're living proof that we can get through it. Oh, we, absolutely. We really are. And we're not the only ones. So, so you know, uh, we're not the only ones then and, and, and if it, it's just it's just it's it's such a good feeling like you said helping others it just it, it, it it's it's a natural high it really is
0: well mark thank you so much for for joining us tonight and uh was great very, very well just out with this and uh, again, if you need if you need help, reach out to those resources. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. And you know, if we said something that does not apply to you or uh, you don't agree with, then just discard it. But try to take any information that you can use for yourself and help others as well. You know, that's what we do here in recovery, and uh, we help ourselves along the way too. And we'd like to impart that knowledge that we've gained to others as well. And with that, please visit our Facebook uh, page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And let me know how I'm doing, and let me know if there's a topic uh, you're interested in hearing about. And, you know, I'd love to hear from you. And take care. And Mark DeBona, the thanks again for joining us, and we will be talking with you all soon. Thank you, and good night.